Welcome to Afterlives with Kara Cooney, in which we discuss ancient Egyptian history and relevant current events that we think will be of interest to our audience. I am Kara Cooney, and I'm a professor of Egyptology at UCLA. This podcast is separate from my teaching and research roles at UCLA. In recent years, I've become active in communicating with the general public about the history of ancient Egypt through lectures, interviews, social media, books, and guest appearances. This podcast is my opportunity to take the kinds of deep dives into history that are not always possible in academic formats. Hello, everyone. Hello. How are you doing? I'm okay. It's been a, <laughs> it's been a rough week. I don't, so whenever you listen to the podcast, you can just go back to, I don't know, what's the date? January 9th. January 5th. Jan- and yeah. So on January 5th, lots of Facebook and Twitter. It started on Twitter. Brouhaha, kerfuffle, um, mishkela. All, all of these things can be, uh, these words can be um, assigned to this problem. But I went through a bit of a social media fire. Um, I feel like... It- I feel like like all good famous people on social media, there's a, <laughs> there's a fire that you could put through at some point. I mean, if you have an opinion and obviously people are going to. Yeah. I mean, mistakes were made um, and I owned up to those mistakes and those ma- mistakes have been fixed. Yes. But the um, hate does not equal. That was my main thing. It was like mistake. You admitted to it. Yeah apologize yeah moving on but it was the hate and everything just did not equal well they don't like the message of my book the message of my book that was the real yes is anti-authoritarianism and anti-patriarchalism and the person who who outed me in my mistake um which i on america network yes is uh oann and these are the kinds of people who use antiquity for their mm-hmm. own political patriarchal agendas to keep their minority power and to make themselves seem good, pure, innocent, true um, through the lens, the ideological lens of antiquity. And so to see it all swirling about all of the things that I've been talking about in the book to actually happen to me in that way was was really interesting. Um, Shred an epi epilogue. <laughs> I suppose. Like the second printing epilogue of like, hey, hey. So this all just got like reaffirmed because it's, it's possible, woman, you know, being a woman in academia and just, and you know, the mistake about Kyle Rittenhouse aside, by the time it was all said and done, it was like, I had pulled the trigger myself. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like project so too like, much. It was just, um, it, was, it got even beyond that. It's like the people that were killed don't even matter. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, it was all about how we commodify them as white or black. Um, yeah, like who, who, what race, it doesn't matter. And, isn't it funny that we're going all lives matter on this one? Yeah. I- ironic. Uh-huh. Um, but it's, uh, and, and I, d- I don't mean that as flippantly as it yes. sounds, but it was, um, yeah, this, it, it was a tough week. It was a tough week. Twitter, but Twitter can sometimes really, really suck. <laughs> uh, and and I didn't know what about, to do. Yeah, I've never been through anything like, like oh, this. Oh. I don't have a publicist on speed dial, you know, and um and Nat Geo was great and they, they helped, but no one helped with my social media. So I had to figure out how to do all of that on my own with advice of, of friends. So those of you that reached out and helped, thank you very much. Amber and I are learning. We're much more wise having walked through this fire, I would say. Um, and I don't know, things happen for a reason. Yeah. And I think to me, the positive spin is that all the people who love and support you really came out. Yeah, they did. And so, they did. you know, thank you to all 
of you guys for reaching out. And I think that really means a lot and shows mm-hmm. that you do have a you know good support base. Yeah. People do appreciate what you're saying and like keep doing what you're doing and don't let the haters get you down and don't do you know what else scare you off of things. Yes. And to stay you strong, know? but you know who, when I, when I shut down the social media and as of this podcast recording, the social media comments are still shut down though. I, I'm posting, but the comments are shut down. Um, it, it, when people wrote me emails, cause I said, please, you know, write yep. me some nice emails to karakuni at gmail.com because right now I'm getting this hate mail. And the people who wrote or the people who who posted on their public social media accounts have mostly been millennial or, mm-hmm. or Gen Z. And it's really great to see what this means to young people in the field of antiquity studies mm-hmm. and, and how we really have a gener- generational divide here of people who don't see the patriarchal systems that they work in in the same way that somebody who is younger and might not or, have or, yeah or, yeah. or um, complacent mm-hmm. where it, it's it's benefited of, us it's benefited yes. us it's but like millennials I think speaking as one I just feel like everything's fucking collapsing around <laughs> us and I'm just at a loss like for everything mm-hmm. so and yet you were always told you were special Jordan so I don't understand why you true. can't get this cognitive special. dissonance together so everything's falling apart around your fucking ears but you know what you are special and you can do anything you want millennial and just you know <laughs> unhappy with like what the democrats are doing it was unhappy yeah. with a lot of things yeah, so yeah. i think well because it's all within the same patriarchal like, system online yeah. bullying really well yes i kind of grew up online yeah understand like, yeah if you went through middle school people yes you know dogpiling yes. you went through this in middle school you see how the human brain works terrors yeah 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 so i think you know, i'm learning i'm learning yeah but, but so yeah it's been a week here. thank you thank you for your support jordan amber Always. thank you for your support and we just we just keep going doing um, more podcasts for- yeah yeah, loud and proud and um, focus on the people who care mm-hmm. and and get the message out there because make no mistake. And we were just talking about this beforehand. This book, The Good Kings, is so hot that no one will touch it. There are no blurbs on the back cover for a reason. You send it out to an academic who's established and like, I'm not touching this shit. And there, there are no interviews in big newspapers or you know, people don't want to touch this. So if anybody's reading this book, it's because of word of mouth. It's because it's ballsy, um, pun intended. And uh, it's, um, I don't know, it's just, it's interesting to see how these things work out and yeah. who's with you or not, who's interested in talking about it or not. Um, these are tough subjects and I'm touching a lot of third rails with this one. So, That's great. Yeah. If you haven't bought it or, huh? or read it, you should, <laughs> at least, you know, to keep appraised of what's going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so you can get it, you know, in a variety of bookstores, ebooks, audiobook, all that good stuff. So yeah. check it out if you have it. Yeah. <laughs> and if least. you if you buy one that's already in uh, a bookseller, you might get the one with the unfortunate mistakes, which is exciting. Yeah. The first edition. You get the first edition. Those have all been changed um, for the next printing. And so that's I don't know. Is that worth anything? My humanity and and um and frailties and vulnerabilities are there for everyone to witness and print, which is, you know, the way it is. Humans. Yeah. They're all imperfect. Goddamn humanity. But some people apparently don't let you forget it. No, <laughs> no they don't. At they all. don't. Mm-mm-mm. I could say more, but we'll stop.
today. Yes. We're having a fun episode. Um, going, I think maybe a little apropos to what's happening. We're going to do the top five surefire ways to get Egyptologists arguing. Yeah. How do you, I always say, this is what's going to cause a bar fight amongst Egyptologists. You know, Egyptologists after a conference, they love to frequent the bar and hang out at the bar. And every now and then you might see people not yelling and screaming and throwing punches, but getting very, everyone has an opinion opinion and you can see that sometimes these conversations get a little crazy and people are yelling about certain things. I mean, joyfully, but, um, but they, we do fight at the bar. So yes. And you sent this to me, I think at like four in the morning one night, you sent an email and like the next morning I was like reading and I was like, oh, that's a really cool idea. What did I say? What did I say? You were just like, had this idea and you like (laughs) top like bar fights with Egyptologists and you like listed out some topics. And I looked at like when it was sent and it's like four in the morning. And I was like, I guess she's not sleeping. (laughs) I don't remember. And and you came to you in a dream or something. And you just said this to me, obviously, before we started recording. And I actually have no memory of writing this email because I'm like, oh, what are we talking about today? Oh, and you're like, and you looked at me and you went, Kara, this was your idea. (laughs) You emailed me this. I'm like, oh, because I was like, oh, which fan's idea is this? And of course, it's my idea. I have no memory of it, Um, which is exciting. So apparently I woke up sent this email to to Jordan and Amber and then fell back asleep and promptly forgot about it. And that sounds a lot like me. So I was going to respond and be like, <laughs> four in the morning. Like, what are, you, what are you doing up? Pee break. And then I had an idea and I yeah, texted it off and then yeah, I went inspired. back. Oh my God. So as things always go, mm-hmm. it seems that most of the top five, obviously there's a lot more than five, but we had to pick five just for the time limits they kind of, uh, you know, separate around two time periods. Okay. Do you want to guess? I'm going to guess. I'm going to guess. Amarna period. Yes. Duh. And then the other one, I guess, pyramids. Mm-hmm. Old kingdom. Duh. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, look so at me. It's very old kingdomy and very Amarna. You came up with the five? You came up with the top five? How did you choose? Well, so you gave some ideas. Oh, I gave, um, apparently I gave some. <laughs> so it's good. I think you did like three of the yeah. five and then I added some other ones. Okay. How, just, how were the pyramids built has got to be one of them because, the and you would think Egyptologists wouldn't fight over this, but to the death, mm-hmm. let me tell you. That's the first um, one. Wow. What, should we jump should we in? Jump? Yeah. yeah. Okay. It. And I've just gotten a Facebook flame more about this, not just like a year ago, something like that. Um, and was, was being open-minded about the fact that we do not know how the pyramids were built and was being generous to a non-Egyptologist by the name of Jean-Pierre Houdin, Mm -hmm. who talks about the inside out pyramid building, the internal ramp theory, um, and was saying that we need to give more attention to things like this. And and wow, people called me a pseudoscientist, that I was a pyramidiot. Um, What what else showed up in that one? It was, it was hot. Yeah, just, he's very not accepted by any Egyptologist. And that's not true. Bob Breyer. Bob, but people cite Jean-Pierre Houdin and all the time yeah. as an alternative theory that can actually be cited as reasonable as opposed to, as, as I think Jean-Pierre Houdin and others have said, if he's crazy for this internal ramp theory, then where's the ramp yeah. that wraps around the pyramid? Where is the ramp that's a kilometer long that you would go up 
to get the blocks up to the pyramid? Where are these things? Um, there's well, we do have one recent example of a ramp dated to the same time. But that's in a in a quarry. Yes, in the alabaster quarries of Hotnoob. So we have at least an example. But it's like a tiny fucking ramp. It's like not even. Yeah, it's a it baby is. ramp. It's it not. An idea. If someone can prove to me that you can build a ramp against the side of a pyramid that's go under construction, it couldn't have been straight. And that your blocks been. aren't going to fucking fall off that ramp all the time. How are you going to keep it packed down and level? How are your guys going to get it up there? I, I just don't. I think there's way more hydraulics involved in this too, which the Houdan theory kind of touches but not enough and there are lots of hydraulic theories out there some little crackpot some really interesting but why not more hydraulics the egyptians built these pyramids next to rivers during inundation when the water was going to help them place a block every two minutes mm -hmm. then we need more hydraulic theories as well but if you say these things here i am on a podcast saying them but if you say these things people lose their shit yeah. and they just they they just they call you a pseudoscientist and that you you know it's because it's been published in print for generations that we had these ramps which we have never found yeah that is the way that you need mm -hmm. to that is the line that we're sticking with and we all just stick to the imaginary story and this is this is what we do yeah i think i think pulling back a bit so there's the whole we either have a straight ramp or a kind of wrapped mm -hmm. ramp and mm -hmm. i think most people like the wrapped ramp like the wrap ramp mm -hmm. idea better because the curved ramp would have had to have been so friggin' long to get and it's just how would you have made a stable mm -hmm. like earthen ramp mm -hmm. that tall it's just ridiculous it's also oh yeah that so earthen. amber yeah. points out that if you have an earthen ramp on the outside of a pyramid wrapping around you would have gotten rid of it and thus there would be no remnant of it whatsoever yeah. so um and and let's do a disclaimer neither jordan nor i are pyramid Special experts no, architecturally in any way we have we don't know we don't work at these sites we're only reading the literature that other people write and um and that and that's it so yes yeah, we understand are, there are people out there that that are really engaged Mark in Lainer, this i think mm -hmm. is maybe the most widely accepted mm -hmm. he thinks there was a spiral spiral ramp starting mm -hmm. at the stone quarry and kind mm -hmm. of meandering its way up but then a lot of people also think it was ramps in combination with other levering techniques, right? So like thinking of the shadouf, like you could have levered rocks up once it got taller, you know. Um, using hydraulic technology. No, just using levers. I, um, I'm going with hydraulics because you could build you locks. Top, the stones get a little smaller. You could you build can... locks and float those stones up. Yep. Could. Mm -hmm. But you need a really high inundation. You can't do it the whole way necessarily, but. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and we know from the diary of Merer, the new stuff that came out, that they were, you know, quarrying the stone and then mm -hmm. bringing it on the river, close, on the on river, the river. It down, yeah, close to, and that there was a harbor for Khufu. Yeah. Yeah. All this type of stuff. So, for sure. Um, and I think early, like the earliest, like Herodotus and Diodorus Siculus and stuff, all say that there was using levers and right. pulleys and stuff like this to right. move the top blocks. Yeah, the top is where the problems are, mm -hmm. right? Because that's when you would need a taller ramp or mm -hmm. whatever. Mm -hmm. But yeah, you mentioned um, the internal ramp theory. And yeah. that essentially is just that his argument is that internally that there was a stone built ramp inside mm -hmm. and that they would be pulling and they would leave the corners open so mm -hmm. they could turn the uh, mm -hmm. stone. And it's a and way that, of not falling off the pyramid. So even if you're yeah. 30 stories up, 
and you're dealing with an internal ramp, if you have the walls set up first, like when you do a puzzle and you put the outside pieces on first, then you know what your what the limit of the puzzle is and you're not gonna go beyond it. In the same way, if you put the walls up around the pyramid and you pull up internally and create a ramp inside, you're not all of a sudden, your men and your blocks aren't gonna fall off yeah. of the pyramid. So just from that practical standpoint, yeah. it makes a lot of and sense. And I think they've used the grand gallery as evidence, like why does this exist? And I mm -hmm. think that was part of, um, part of this technique. And they've, some of the other stuff I read mentioned, you know, seeing, foxes up on the great pyramid like <gasps> somehow ending I, I miss up that. On there and like arguing that there's tunnels but i my whole question is they've recently done all that scanning right right did they find anything yeah that's i think what you know would they have filled in these ramps would we have evidence of them left to us what's the but again most people don't egypt most egyptologists don't they don't even this. touch it you've it's been featured on a bunch of like the Discovery and Nat Geo mm -hmm. documentaries. It's been so associated with an alien technology yes. silliness that most people who work on pyramids don't even touch the story, the question of construction of the pyramids. It's that fraught. Mm -hmm. It's that hot, um, which is, yeah. the, so of course I'm super interested in it. <laughs> Not how it was done necessarily, but why people freak out why they over how it was it. done. Well, we can talk, but about they don't really talk about it. We don't really know. And who built it? Yeah, that's true. So like another yeah. is, oh, was it enslaved people? Yeah. Was yeah. it corvée labor? Yeah. And that's like, you know, definitions. What do these things mean? And right. Um, people's own agency in this process. And uh, I touch that in, in my book, the good Kings as was, well in the first chapter. People. Yes. Um, and we're not talking about who built the pyramids as in, was it a construction of Khufu? Was it a construction of Menkaure? Yeah. Egyptology yeah. has that, has good evidence for which king is responsible for which pyramids, for the most part. Um, some of the smaller ones, it's still unclear, but you know, certainly the ones on the Giza Plateau, we know who's responsible for it. And there's evidence, written textual evidence that supports who built each one. But the Check point is- the body jar papyri. Oh yeah. yeah. Beautiful. But the point is, is how were they constructed? What was the source of labor? Mm -hmm. And was that labor abused? Was that labor exploited? And this is a big, dis it's actually not a big discussion in Egyptology. Most Egyptologists say, oh no, this is labor that was drafted into service. They were paid well, they got to eat. It was all great. Nobody, it's not like um, a huge amount of exploitation, like all the people- Was it like work, forced work camps or something? Forced work yeah. camps, or even like Pentagon construction built by, um, uh, in, in really hurried and difficult conditions in which there are dead people in the concrete at the mm -hmm. Pentagon, apparently. I don't, you know, look it up. I don't, <laughs> I don't know the details. But um, there's a lot of apologism in the building of the pyramids by Egyptologists saying that, these structures are not the evils that you think they are because they weren't built by slaves. That's just a story. They were built by draft labor. And because of that, they have, um, I don't know, it's kind of like putting an ideological force field around the pyramid to say that they're not problematic. I think, I think being an American, we have a very niche idea of a, what a slave and slaved person is. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I think we need to broaden our definition a little bit yeah. when looking at like corvée labor. Um, you know, it's you're paying services to the state through your labor. Yeah. Is that 
is, is that slavery how do it's partial slavery because part of the year you're not doing that yeah. and you're free to go do whatever you're being a farmer or whatever and when we think um, of a draft we think of being drafted to fight in a war something that you should feel proud to do and if you don't you you know you're yeah. the problematic one how these people felt they might have felt proud to help build the king's tomb mm-hmm. but if, if it's ideologically charged to make them feel that way they still could also be, you know, used and abused and still feel some sense of pride in doing it, just like other situations I could think of. Yeah. So when I talk about this in my book, I'm like, oh my God, Egyptologists fall all over themselves to say that the slaves or enslaved people did not build the pyramids. And yet we're talking about a symbol of social exploitation yeah. of one person for one, guy. for one guy and the burial of one guy. And then his uh, ostensibly his cult activity as a dead person forever after yeah. that's the way it is meant to work of course it doesn't in reality um to have all of those resources set aside is the 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 symbol par excellence of a highly unequal society and i mean even if you are getting paid if it's the pay is not equal to the work you're doing like many people nowadays feel it, in a way you feel kind of enslaved to this capitalistic society like i'm working this shitty ass job getting paid, getting treated really poorly, like... Well, this is the whole discussion that we're having right obviously now. Obviously not enslaved pe- person, but it's still this... It's a discussion of skilled of, versus yes. unskilled work. And so people will say, oh, the skilled people, and that's the burial ground that was found by Lehner and Hawass mm-hmm. right next to the... On the Giza Plateau, yeah. right next to the pyramids that have tombs and... Bil- you know, there's, there's evidence of feasting and all kinds of rewards, and they did really well. But the and then people say, well, the unskilled laborers didn't get this, but they were paid in bread and beer, and they're just fine. Um, and and then you wonder, well, this is unskilled labor. Yeah, These like are men. Just, <laughs> yeah, built the whole pyramid. Very unskilled of them. Yeah, it's like the the meme I saw. Um, there there was some video on Twitter, and a guy was like moving a refrigerator using a dolly, and doing so with such skill mm-hmm. and oh, and movers? elegance, amazing. Like watching movers move all your furniture mm-hmm. and stuff like they have such a they're so efficient yeah and they know how to do it so well yeah and i'm like this is why i pay you yeah. to do this because yes. you this is your job and you know how to do it right but because they're using their bodies yes. and the elegance comes from their bodies not from we we assume some sort of cerebral part mm-hmm. of their minds and they're not the scribe with the pen or the engineer they are unskilled mm-hmm. whereas the the skilled labor gets paid yeah. 60 times as much in in ancient mm-hmm. egypt so it's it's an interesting thing to to bring up because we're talking about it you wonder, did the ancient Egyptians talk about it? And how is this unskilled, quote unquote, labor valued? And what does it mean? I guarantee you there were certain guys that were drafted uh, again, year after season after season, yeah. because like they were known maybe, and maybe move yeah. up in the hierarchy and maybe become like skilled. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. But they exactly. would never be mayor, rare, like mm-hmm. cousin or brother to Khufu type of yeah. thing. And, yeah. you know, they could only go so far. Yeah. 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 So maybe not a satisfying answer because we don't know how they were no. for sure were built. But I think all me, of these were like not going to boring question. Like, oh. All of these we're never going to have answers for, right? Maybe a couple. So, she's checking. <laughs> no, I, I have a an couple. answer for the next one. Okay, it's well, also we'll like see. my opinion. Okay, I no. feel like it's pretty. For this one, we will potentially someday have an answer, yeah. but we have to get better at scanning through rock. And I don't yeah. know how to do that. Yeah. Okay. Oh my God. So yeah. So what is your, if you had to write 
I've done this. I just wrote it in the first chapter of the good things. I'm not, I'm not going to give a line in the sand. I'm going to say that we don't know. And I'm going to say that we need to be more open about different theories because we don't know. And don't call me a pyramid idiot or a pseudoscientist because of it, but not aliens, but not, <laughs> not aliens grain silos, like and not, a, not, Carson. not grain silos and or not, energy um, not energy things and not Atlantis. Cause limestone holds energy really great. And not Israelites. Yes. yes. There are some things we can say, but, um, the, I, I like to look at why we don't know. Mm-hmm. And I like to look at the pyramids as weapons of the mind that were so powerful in the ancient world and indeed today that the ancient Egyptians were never going to write down how they did this shit and give us their blueprints and say, step one, when building a pyramid, Um, they're never going to do that. Obviously, also, it was a lot for them because they didn't keep doing it. No. So it was no matter how they did it. It was a very, you know, it took a lot of manpower, Mm -hmm. a lot of labor, a lot of resources, Mm -hmm. something that couldn't, wasn't sustainable. Yeah. It's not sustainable socially, engineering wise and all kinds of ways. So, so I kind of skirted the draw. I'll make make a Okay. You go. I think it was probably like wrap around, maybe like ramps, some scaffolding. Yeah. Levering. Yeah. Levers, pulleys. You see, you're picking everything. Which, <laughs> but that's what human, but that's what humans do. Like you're not just gonna just like one giant ramp. Yeah, you'll do some ramps. You'll do some levers. So you're diversifying you your I answer. Think maybe depending on where they were in the construction, like yeah. at the bottom yeah. ramps, easy. It's not that tall. Once you get up tall, up higher, maybe more pulleys and levers and stuff. The stones are smaller. You can maneuver them a lot easier. I think we, we need to do we, more work have, with hydraulics. Like, all this rope, like huge, really thick rope. I think that we also, we human beings get, yeah, the rope, yes. too, just like, they had massive amounts of people. You can do a lot of things, but just a lot of bodies. Mm -hmm. Like, all of seeing the certain videos of them moving, like, the um, Rapa Nui, Easter Island uh, heads, just shimming it back and forth, and they can make it, like, walk across Mm -hmm. the Mm -hmm. land. You just need a bunch of men, you get momentum going, and you can do amazing things with you know, I think human, human beings can be kind of stupid and the pyramids right now are in the middle of the desert and they're not near the river. And uh, because of that, the water would have been closer back then. It would have been there so a, much closer. There was a, uh, there were canals, key, but the, yeah. the Nile would have been way closer. Yeah. And we need to think of it in that way. How, when, when asking, how Definitely. do you build the pyramids? The Nile is right there. Straight floating them from Pura. Yes. Yeah. And we have the 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 Wadi El Jarak papyri, which is using the river. So there needs to be more discussion of of river work and water work, hydraulic work with these mm-hmm. with these pyramids. Yep. And his valley temple would have been connected. And mm-hmm. yeah. absolutely, absolutely. So I think we're both on the maybe a variety of techniques, not mm-hmm. just one. Because absolutely, humans do. We mm-hmm. it's messy. Best fit scenario, I think. Mm-hmm. And probably as they were building it you know with snefru's his couple didn't go so well they probably like you know trial and error picked the best best ones best techniques yeah fit. yeah and then by the time khufu's was built they knew exactly like the right way to do it and then kafra's like i'm not building a floating chamber yeah no freaking way and and he his, the only chamber in there is in I'm the bedrock yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. so builds it a higher, higher part of the plateau and then yeah doesn't That's- doesn't even try to keep up this brings us to our second question. Yes. Who built the Sphinx? Oh, that is, yeah. But see, course. this one I have like an actual, I have a pretty. I have one that I stand by too. On. You do? Do we agree? No. Oh, shit. Okay. So we have two camps. <laughs> we have the pro Khufu camp. Yeah. Which the, is very small. 
pro Kafri camp, okay, which is larger, probably in the same. Or, I don't know what camp we're doing. I'm in the I'm in the Kufu camp. <gasps> I'm in the Kafri camp. Oh my god, it's exciting. Pro Kufu. I think Kufu built the Sphinx. Okay, because I mean, there's no. I think either or traditionally what because it looks like that one statue of him. Yes, that we have. It's a also much harsher a face. Statue. Could be, but it looks like him. Yeah. And then I think the other main uh, rationale is that, like, you know, he builds the greatest pyramid. He also then, like, monuments of grandeur. So then the Sphinx being another monument of grandeur gets then linked to him. Mm -hmm. And doesn't, and I'm sorry, I'm learning these questions now. So I did not study in advance for this test. Um, But doesn't Khafre have a bent causeway? Yes. So that is one thing that the causeway had that the Sphinx predates the causeway, mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean that it has to, it could have been he built the Sphinx first. The if he built the, this, I mean, it's, it, it's a rock outcropping. You can't move yeah. it. You can't move it. But if he's choosing a place to build and then he's responsible for the Sphinx, I think it's too convenient. He's picking the higher ground. Yeah. He's copying daddy. He's going back to daddy's playground of building. And I, I think it's a cheat. The I think it fits that it, I- he did not build it. The one thing from the stratigraphy also is that his valley temple is right next to it. Had to be deconstructed to let the Sphinx wall in. So that says that his valley temple is older than the Sphinx. Assuming that that Sphinx wall wasn't taken down for something else. I mean, one thing we can say about the Sphinx, and this I would say goes for the millennia of Egyptian history, is that every king wants to claim it and every king is allowed to claim it Mm -hmm. in a sense. It is kingship rather than one particular king. And because of that, I would say that this question that we're asking isn't necessarily a question the ancient Egyptians would have asked because Mm -hmm. that Sphinx would have have been so well known in the psyche and cultural memory of the ancient Egyptian people. And it would have just transferred itself, that power to the next king who was on the throne. Yeah. 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 So we're asking the wrong question. Yeah, but it still gets everyone up and up. Oh, it certainly does. And who's on which side? I, I don't, I, we're not Old Kingdom scholars. So maybe this is a no, difficult thing. I think most people think it's Kafra. Yeah, most do. So Reiner Stottlemont thinks it's mm-hmm. Khufu, and he's okay. definitely in the minority. Yeah, I think most people think it's Kafra. Um, I think just from this more recent, when they were doing some of the stratigraphy from, and I think too, with the angle and location of the causeway from Khafre, mm-hmm. they think it was purposely at that angle first. And mm-hmm. then the Sphinx was then um, carved out of the stone that was already there. And that they had to put the causeway that any that way anyway, because of the mound of stone. Right. And then they just carved that mound of stone into a Sphinx. I mean, and the other problem is that given that this is a rock outcropping yes. and given that it may have had a leonine shape before oh, right. it was mm-hmm. carved out of their outcropping, mm-hmm. then it, it could be both of theirs. And that's the <laughs> other theory is that it was, you know, initially carved maybe by Kung Fu and then recarved. Yeah. You know, this happens all the time yeah. of things getting recarved. And, and there are two beards. And... You've, you, you've seen in the Egyptian mm-hmm. Museum Cairo at Tahrir yeah. that there are two beards. Yeah. That belong to the Sphinx that are like stuck in the corner yeah. of the museum without a label. And it's just like sitting there. <laughs> I mean, I hope they move it to Gem. I bet they will. I've and seen be a like, recent photo on it and it, they looked better displayed. So I don't know, maybe if maybe they, it stays it like upright. And you can I mean, that's a, color and stuff that's a yeah. wonderful tourist piece. This mm-hmm. is the beard of the Sphinx. Look, here's another. Yeah. So this one fell off and then they added this other one. And that's, that's wonderful. Yeah. 
but it's I think one fringe theory I saw was that it was initially an Anubis figure and then carved into a sphinx oh my god who's that one forget I think mainly just because there weren't that many sphinxes dated to the old kingdom and Hmm. they think it was a later middle kingdom but there aren't many Anubises yeah I mean there's Anubis in two dimensions but not in three Anubises in three dimensions are rare except in funerary circumstances funerary then you see you see lots of Anubises much different like the one they just reconstructed, it looks are outside of the Ramesseum, which blew my mind. I'm like, what is this yeah. madness? Um, for those of you that don't know, in the last five years, they've reconstructed, and I think by they, it's the IFAO, right? Mm-hmm. It's the French Institute, yep. has found fragments of a statue of a recumbent jackal, who is, that recumbent just means that he's sitting on all fours with his paws out, like a sphinx. Yeah. Uh, and it's been reconstructed and it's not complete. So you have parts of an ear and then you can see which parts are ancient, which parts are real by the colors that they've reconstructed it with. But it's a recumbent jackal on the West Bank. It's the coolest thing I've ever seen. seen No, never. And it just blew my mind. So um, there's lots of reconstructions going on that are hella cool as the millennials say. Apparently. (laughs) (laughs) You you taught me to say hella cool. cool. You taught me to say that. You say hella stuff sometimes. Is it I, Kylie more? Maybe. Oh. I feel like Julian says that. Oh, maybe it's my son. So it's a Gen Z yeah, thing? Gen Z. Amber, who says hella? It's definitely not me. You don't say it? I so it's just hella. me? That's like skateboarder. I am speaking I to the youth. I don't, I don't say hella. <laughs> hella cool. Hella cool. Okay, maybe it's Julian. It's possible. But we can firmly say that the Sphinx is not 10,000 years old but the, that I mean it is though stone, well, stone is of course it is what's the crazy thing they're like oh the weathering of the rock only could have happened from water like uh I mean it's rock that's attached to the ground which it means it's ground stone. rock it is living stone as we call it yeah. so yeah it's millions of years old yes a limestone that was used to be under the ocean indeed it is and yeah. um and the carving itself is what they're dating if you talk to geologists who work with wind erosion, they'll be like, yeah, this happens all the time. And then it's put to a rest. But it was a Charlton Heston documentary from the 90s. I don't remember the, the title, but you can look up Charlton Heston Sphinx date, whatever, 10,000 10, years old. And you'll get these theories. Um, I remember playing a video game. Yeah. Like late 90s, early 2000s called The Riddle of the Sphinx. Oh. And it was that there was like a hidden chamber. And there the are Sphinx. hidden chambers. There but are. Like, you know, like had secrets in it, like a library or something. And you can like figure out how to get inside and like solve these mysteries and a very distinct memory of playing this game. And there's a lot of like Egypt focused, like mystery riddle. Like I think it was Atlantis or something focused. Yeah. But that's why things like the Osirion underneath the Giza mm-hmm. Plateau are so hella cool. cool. Yes. More <laughs> on that. Um, oh, really? More on that? No, we should. No, na- oh, now. so interesting. And yeah, I remember when it got brought up in our class last quarter, all of us were like, wait, what? Yeah. Like, we didn't even know about it. And, and there's a documentary about yeah. it. And I don't think it's published except in a Feshrift. One article. We one article in, Zahi. in yeah. Zahi wrote in, who's Feshrift? A Feshrift is a volume written to celebrate a retiring uh, academic. Like the pictures are just insane. Yeah, it is insane. It's so deep. It's a deep shaft that goes down into a chamber that hits groundwater. And it has columns in it. I believe there's Mm -hmm. columns. It's a column chamber. And in the center of the chamber, that's filled with water partially, right? So there's water all around. Um, 
is a, an empty stone sarcophagus. I believe, I believe the lid is over to the, there's no lid. The lid's over to the side. Yeah, and there, I think there are some like later intrusive burials yeah. too, later on. So, But it is meant to be something that is secret, that is, that is not meant to be accessible by the normal person because how many people can go down a straight shaft of I don't know how many meters? It was, yeah, it's great. We'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's really cool. And it's, it's meant to be probably a priestly initiation yeah. site, a place where you learn to connect like with Osiris and the source of all... I mean, it's the source of new life seasonally. And I guarantee you that when the Nile water started to rise, there was a priest that would go down there like every day to check or the water's coming up or the water's coming up that would measure. It's like a nilometer on the Giza Mm -hmm. plateau. And um, so people who say, oh, there's chambers in the Sphinx. There are, Um, there's nothing cool in them that's been found, but there's there's cool stuff on the Giza plateau. Very cool stuff. And it's meant to stay secret. It's meant to fill you with these ideas that you're excluded from something that mm-hmm. is very powerful. All of these things are, are meant to work upon the simple it's human mind. When you go there today, even if you're not a religious or spiritual person, yeah. the, the monumentality of these things like, make, make you, you feel, feel tiny. so small. Yes. Like when you're in his Khufu's burial chamber, like, like feeling the weight of everything. Yeah. And, yeah. You know. Just like in um, in the movie Gladiator, when they finally get to Rome, they look at the Colosseum and the man from Africa says, I did not know men could build such things. Mm-hmm. And you're meant to feel yeah. that awe. And it, it is like in the 21st century. You absolutely. Still, like, when you're on the ring road driving and you see yeah. them kind of come out and you're just like, holy It shit, still works shit. on you. still does. This is, this is why we build skyscrapers. I did a whole TV show about that, um, which I think you can... What is it on now? Hulu, you said? Out of Egypt is streaming on Hulu? Hulu Premium. Um, You got to pay for it. That's funny. So if you have Hulu Premium, you can see Out of Egypt. I watched it. And there's the documentary called Shape of the Gods, in which I talk about pyramids that were built in Mexico, in Peru, in Egypt, in um, all kinds of, because we have pyramidal shapes all over the place. And I end the episode in Dubai in a helicopter flying around the Burj Khalifa, which at that point, I think it, it was the tallest building on earth. Yeah. I don't think it is anymore. I think Malaysia's beaten it. We, well, you I guys can it. check. We'll look in the show notes. Amber, I'm so sorry. Now you have to look at where, what, who, <laughs> what's the tallest skyscraper in the world right now? Um, is it still the Burj Khalifa? But the Burj Khalifa is pyramidal in shape and, uh, and it's meant to fill you with awe and you can't believe it's as tall as it is. phallic um rocket like jeff bezos rocket like but pointy um (laughs) so anyway yes pyramids so sphinx we disagree yeah it's cafe you say i say khufu I don't, I don't discount the, maybe it was originally Khufu and then Capre recarved it or did something. And I don't discount that it was, that it's both of them. <laughs> both, yeah, really? Yeah. Yeah. And like I, I'm. There was something and then, you know. Khufu is obviously putting his pyramid behind it to make it seem as if it is I his. I think it would help if we knew, if we had, obviously we know it exists. We had Khufu's Valley Temple. Obviously mm-hmm. it's under houses and stuff now. Mm-hmm. We had more statues of him and some more evidence to see kind of what else was going on there during Khufu's time. We don't mm-hmm. have a lot of that. No, so I you think don't. that would help. No, it'd be great archaeology. We had some some of that yeah. left. Yeah. But okay. Now we're gonna jump forward like thousands of years. So we're going to Amarna. Going to right to Amarna. Well that's it for part one. We hope you enjoyed. 
Stay tuned in two weeks for part two, where we'll answer the rest of the questions. Thanks, everyone. Thank you to our listeners for your support and for subscribing wherever you listen. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a five-star review and help raise our profile and let others know about it. Send your questions related to the show and topic suggestions for future episodes to karakuni at gmail.com. You can find the video version of the show on my YouTube page and full show notes will be posted in the podcast section of my website, karakuni.squarespace.com. For that, thank you, Amber Myers-Wells. There you'll also find info on my books, upcoming lectures, and you can subscribe to my newsletter. You can find me on Facebook at Karakuni Egyptologist and on Twitter and Instagram at Karakuni. See you next time on Afterlives with Karakuni.